Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. This is Rena, and today we're talking about inflammation. Why? Because inflammation is the root cause, and here with us to tell us all about it is Dr. Sunil Pai, an internationally recognized expert in integrative medicine, a health activist, influencer, thought leader in the wellness industry. He's also an MD and has gone through, of course, the conventional education, but he's combined it with he's trained in family medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, neuro and medical acupuncture, homotoxicology, physiological regulating medicine, plant-based nutrition. I think he's still studying. We're going to hear all about that when we chat with him. Uh, He also specializes in formulation of natural products from raw materials to manufacturing, following them all the way through clinical studies. What's exciting and why we have him on our show today is because he recently released his critically acclaimed book, An Inflammation Nation the definitive 10-step guide to preventing, treating, and reversing all diseases through diet, lifestyle, and the use of natural anti-inflammatories. This book has won a bunch of awards, including the Best of 2016 Indie Book. He is also the founder of the House of Sanjeevni Integrative Medicine Health and Lifestyle Center, which is located in Albuquerque, which provides full health service and education, as well as integrative services. Dr. Pai, welcome. Thank you very much for having me today. So what inspired you to write this book about inflammation? Well, um, a lot of things. Actually, it all comes from clinical experience. You know, Mm -hmm. I was one of the first formally trained integrative fellows over 17 years ago with Andrew Wild at the University of Arizona, when when the word itself wasn't really uh, recognized or, or, or known. And from the practice after 17 years of seeing patients, you know, in the last 10 years, I started to notice more with my own patients, the, the relationship with uh, inflammation and chronic diseases, particularly looking at it even from an Ayurvedic standpoint, as well through my, my lens of uh, evaluation. And, it, and that's what led me over the period of time to write the book, An Inflammation Nation. Is inflammation the root cause of all disease? Yes. And in fact, well, it's the triggering mechanism that makes every disease worse. So it's not the root cause of it, but every, every cause, which is a variety of factors and causes, which we will talk about, um, trigger an inflammatory response. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, so now we know that, you know, inflammation is the triggering mechanism that makes any disease, no matter what the disease is, A through Z worse. And so let me give you an example. You know, uh, in my book, we'll go cover this in more detail. But when you think of just the word, the root word of inflammation, it comes from the word fire or flam. Mm-hmm. And in a simple words, it means itis, I-T-I-S. Just in quotes, I can say itis, okay? And so when someone has anything that has the word itis, uh, at the end of it just means inflammation of that area. So if someone has, say, red eyes due to allergy, we call it conjunctivitis. Mm-hmm. Someone has runny nose, we call it rhinitis. Someone has a sinus problem, we call it sinusitis. You know, we go to the dentist, we brush our teeth, we get gingivitis if we don't do that. It's a lot of people can have... Uh, uh, sore throat, we call it pharyngitis. You know, I was speaking a lot this this past weekend at a course, and so I was getting a la- little bit of laryngitis. My, you know, uh, people can get thyroiditis, you know, esophagitis mm-hmm. or reflux and GERD and gastritis of their stomach and colitis of their colon and you know arthritis of our joints and dermatitis of our skin. Currently, 
There's over 200 different itises that are now formally diagnosed. And from our perspective, uh, integratively, we want to look at not just treating them symptomatically, which conventional medicine does, you know, eye drops, nasal spray, you know, oral care, right. here's a primary pill, here's a, here's, a, here's a bronchodilator, here's your upper pill for your stomach, here's a lower pill, here's a topical for your, for your skin. Uh, those all work very well, by the way, but once you stop using them, the patient or the person will actually have their symptoms flare again because no one was really looking at what's the underlying triggering mechanism of what their itis is. And that's what my book covers. So what exactly is inflammation? So inflammation is just a set of biological, cellular, and immunological responses that are not always bad. So a lot of times, you know, in this context, we're always talking about, you know, inflammation being too much, but it's a, it's a, it's a modifier of immune system functioning. And there's actually hundreds and hundreds of different type of inflammatory responses. So think of like a stop and go on, on, the, on the pedal of the car. Like you, you need to have some go, you need to have some stop. It, it upregulates gene expression, it downregulates transcriptions and, 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 and transcriptions factors and other parts of proteins and immune system functioning. But the inflammation is controlled by your immune system. And your immune system, just in short, is your military, your Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines of your body. And they fight and they fix and they repair. So the goal is not to have too much inflammation, but also on the flip side, I call it the yin and the yang, you don't want to have any inflammation either. You mm -hmm. have to have some. And it's this delicate, I call it the Goldilocks rule, you know, not too much, not too cold, <laughs> not too hot. You need to have some. And the, and the biggest challenge right now is people are in a chronic inflammatory state due to their diet their lifestyle and their environment. And one of the, the misapproaches that we have with conventional approach is that we usually give targeted biologics or medications that makes the patient's um, inflammation go to zero. And so although their symptoms will go down to zero and they feel great, it puts them at risk for higher things like cancer and other chronic diseases, which you always listen to at the bottom of the commercials. Um, mm -hmm. It's because you need to have some of the military. You can't just have none, right? Otherwise, you can get infections. So someone might, might have, let's say, um, psoriatic arthritis, they take a, a wonderful drug, their pain goes away, but then someone can sneeze on them, they get a pneumonia and they die. Mm. And so we have to be very careful of, of certain things and how to modify that. And the key is looking at, well, what are those triggers? Diet, lifestyle, and environment. And my book will cover that in detail. Got it. So it's, it's simple enough that it's those three things. There's not a fourth thing, which is nice because then as we listen to a podcast like this and read your book, we can identify what specific triggers might be in our lives. Yes. And in, in my book, I actually cover 10 steps. So I, I move people through uh, each step. And, and the interesting thing to learn about... Give us an overview of those 10 steps. So the first step is always, we always look at eating an organic, non-GMO, plant-based, anti-inflammatory diet. Okay, that's the first thing. And so once we start with that, that's mm -hmm. actually putting in the right kind of fuel, the right type of nutrition, the right type of fiber, protein, antioxidants, and phytonutrients into the body. And then, you know, the second thing that we look at is testing uh, each person individually for inflammatory responses to foods. Okay. So although the data and uh, we're evidence-based practice, and so what that means is that we follow what the preponderance of evidence is in the literature. And so, for example, the plant-based diet right now is the diet that shows to have the best health benefits A through Z. Mm -hmm. But then we go even further than that. We like to look at each person's specific immune physiological responses to all plants, vegetables, grains, legumes, and animal proteins. So the idea is that some people will think of like food allergies or sensitivities, but we get into specifics of different types of sensitivities, some of them that happen within an hour of consumption of food, some of them that can happen uh, four days after the consumption of food. And so we look at what we call immediate and delayed responses. So once we're able to identify specific triggers, so e for example, even though we want to move to a plant-based diet, someone might have a sensitivity to kale. 
And mm. although you and I might eat kale and say, oh, it's a superfood and blah, blah, blah. You know, everybody's like, oh, kale, everything, you know, for mm. someone else, they might eat it and their, their rheumatoid arthritis will flare or their colitis will flare or their allergy or asthma will get worse. So we like to specifically look at individual responses. The third thing is we look at detoxification, you know, clearing the toxins, panchakarma, and really looking at real panchakarma. Not, you know, a lot of people in America talk about detoxification, like a simple colon cleanse or colonics. And that's actually quite dangerous and there's difficulties of actually sometimes you can initiate a disease to go further into the body. And so you have to really understand physiology of understanding how do we eliminate toxins. It's not just simple, a quick little thing. It's a diet, lifestyle, environment, and panchakarma is a specific type of approach of doing that. So we look at that, obviously avoiding smoking. You know, believe it or not, people still smoke and the rise of uh, e-cigarettes now with technologies yes. and yes. stuff like this, you know, uh, people are smoking uh, more than they, you know, kind of in a younger population. So obviously we'll cover that. And then avoiding non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, you know, which is what we consider the unknown danger out there. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are the ibuprofens, you know, like our Motrin and Advils and the uh, Aleves, which are the naproxens and Celebrex uh, type of silicoxib drugs. All of those things actually have black box warnings. And the black box warning, this basically means that the government, the FDA has put the warning that those things can kill you. And the three things that they can kill you from doing or by doing is having a heart attack, a GI bleed or a stroke at any time. And in my book, you'll, you'll see that the actual number one cause of death now in the United States out, out, outdoing or out, outnumbering heart disease and cancer and stroke, which is number two, number three, number four is actually side effects of Western medicine and medical errors. And of the medicine, the largest group that causes and contributes to that mortality rate is nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories that people take every day. Are we, and we really do pop them like candy, but please continue and we'll come back yeah, and yeah, we'll look come at back each. to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. And then we talk about you know decreasing inflammation through something what we use as a natural anti-inflammatory called Bosmeric SR. It's a patented uh, formulation that we've used now for seven years on tens of thousands of patients worldwide. Uh, it has clinical studies to use and it has four ingredients that synergistically lower 97 different mechanisms of inflammation. It took us six years to actually develop the technology so that it has a 20 minute onset of action and an eight hour sustained release. So it's like a fast tab and a long lasting aspect. So we're looking at from our perspective, how do we take like ancient wisdom from Ayurveda and then how do we use modern technology, modern pharmaceutical science and manufacturing so that it can blend something ancient to our convenience of today. Like we want something to work right now, not take it for a couple of weeks and your pain will go away. Right. Someone wants their headache right now to go away. So we can, we've now developed that aspect. Um, the next step we'll be looking at is increasing the immune system functioning. So we like to talk about looking at vitamin D levels, taking uh, glucan 300s and different things in the diet, even technologies that can help stimulate your increase of your natural killer cells. How do you keep your immune system strong? Because really the, mm -hmm. the idea of being perfectly healthy is a couple of things. It's about cleaning up the environment, cleaning the toxins, keeping the inflammation down and keeping the immune system up. And if you really do that very well, then disease does not set in. Okay, mm -hmm. but the problem is it's an imbalance of all of these, which we right. all you know have exposure to or or difficulty with. And then we look at maintaining healthy glucose levels, decreasing sugar in the diet, reducing stress. You know, like using meditation and yoga in the appropriate ways that they're they're supposed to be used. And finally, we we talk about you know increasing love and happiness. You know, mm -hmm. uh, meaningful social relationships, faith or spiritual practices, or we, we were talking about earlier community. 
It's, yes. it's key. So even though I have 10 steps and even though like the first step is what I really focus in on with most people is like, what are you putting in your mouth? But it's also, what are you putting in your environment? It's what are you putting in your mind? What are you, what are you putting in from your community? And so those are, that's what we're talking about healing circles. It's very important that it's, it's a combination of all the steps. It's not just one. It's so beautifully said and so comprehensive. I feel like anyone who follows your 10 steps should heal their inflammation and hence should really have relief from whatever health issues are plaguing them. Let's start with the step one. So let's actually do a deep, deeper dive. Let's talk about food. So you mentioned organic, plant-based, anti-inflammatory. What do you think of nightshades? Because I hear not all plants are gray. Um, if you read the plant paradox, there's, there's a lot of conversation from um, specifically around the plants that might not be healthy to eat. What are your thoughts on A, a book like A Plant Paradox, that not all plants are healthy, B, the nightshades? So I would disagree with that because the evidence is predominantly not saying that. The common idea that the nightshades were there is because, you know, early in the 50s and 60s, there were certain patients that had arthritic conditions that when they ate some of these foods, that they um, had an increase or flare of their inflammation, okay? But what we now understand that to be is that those patients actually have some sensitivities to those foods. So I get patients every day that have rheumatoid and any kind of these kind of arthritic uh, conditions, and they'll come and say, I can't eat any of these nightshades. And then when we test them, you know, it might be only one of the nightshades just, uh, you know, coincidentally coming to be on that list. And so what happens is they're actually, you know, discouraging patients from actually exploring all the foods because remember, they still need phytonutrients to heal, mm -hmm. which only comes from plants. They still need fiber, which only comes from plants. And they still need antioxidants, which predominantly comes only from plants now. So, and protein, which is in all plant foods. So the, the trick was a lot of doctors, and even till today, most doctors have no training in nutrition, right? They so don't, if, yeah. if a patient came in and said, hey, I, I, I ate this and it bothered me, then actually the physicians were the ones who were the tellers to keep these things going. So that they, like, if a patient came to them and said, hey, arthritis, what should I eat, doc? They would just remember the patient saying, well, I, I, I eat eggplant and it made, made me flare. <laughs> so they would say, well, don't eat eggplant. And it was almost that kind of um, giving of information, but it wasn't really validated information. It was just more of like, well, we heard this and we kept on perpetuating because physicians themselves never explored the information. Now what we know is that all the anti-inflammatories okay, that we give all come from plants. Now, however, speaking, individuals, again, can have individual responses to any food. Right. So, so even though we know animal proteins are pro-inflammatory, my book will go into that in detail in omega-6s and, and all the other aspects of why you know, it has cholesterol, has no fiber, has very little antioxidants due to factory farming, and has no phytonutrients. But, you know, you can have a sensitivity to anything. And so when we test patients in our office, you know, it could be a tomato. It could be an onion. It could be a potato. So it's not always just going to be soy or corn or wheat or bacon and chocolate and coffee. You know, all the things that people want to pick on. Uh, you know, oh, I have a gluten sensitivity. Gluten sensitivity is like, no, no, no. We will check those things. If you don't have that problem, obviously you're eating organic because you don't want to have the glyphosate that's on the wheat in America that's contributing actually to the cause of the gluten problem. But the foods itself never really had a problem. Some people have these issues just uniquely, and some things are just what we're doing environmentally that's making everybody have a problem with foods. What are your favorite anti-inflammatory plants? Um, well, uh, uh, turmeric, which is, you know, we have in our product, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, we love ginger. 
uh, and black pepper, but all plants are anti-inflammatory. So that's, and, and all, all, almost all plants have an anti-cancer benefit. And so one thing I always remind people, because there's a big trend right now, paleo and keto. And, right. You know, that's, that's a big push from the industry. But, you know, even some of the, you know, what they call, so I call them so-called integrative doctors because they're just jumping on a bandwagon where there's companies that promote them and, and support their books. And there's, there's food industries that do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what we have to look at is what's the evidence. Now, there is no pill that we give. And I always remind people, there is no pill that you take that comes from an animal protein. To, right. prevent, to prevent, reverse, or treat it. So there's no beef pill, no chicken pill, there's no pork pill, there's no right. lamb pill. And even the fish, it's a fatty acid of the oil. It's not a fish protein. So right. it's very interesting. People push you know, paleo and keto, and then they'll tell you, well, hey, you need to take the super green drink, and you take these antioxidant pills, and you take the fiber supplements because you're not getting that in a strict paleo-keto diet. So there's a little bit of like these things that we have to look at. What is the quick fix? You know, most people shouldn't be eating highly refined, you know, simple carbohydrates, but we need complex carbohydrates. That's where you get a lot of the fiber. That's where you get a lot of the, the, the um, B vitamins from, for example. But everybody, you know, in America is eating too much white foods, right? White sugars, white breads, white tortillas. And so, you know, when they do any of these kind of quick fads, and I call them fads because it's just the Atkins diet reinvented 25 years later. Right. Different names every couple of years. Um, but the thing is, like, no one can sustain those things long term. But there's a lot of industry that's selling, you know, supplements to put you in a, in a keto, ketogenic state and all those things. The data doesn't show that, that the long-term benefit is there because most people, when we actually follow the data after three months, will start to have a rise of increase of pro-inflammatory conditions. So although they might lose weight because, yeah, I stop eating donuts. I tell it all, all my, everybody, you stop eating donuts, you will lose weight. Okay, that's, a guarantee. that's a guarantee. <laughs> and sometimes yes. you know, we've got to be strict because people don't realize, like, oh, I'm eating a foot-long Subway sandwich, you know, and all those bready stuff and pull yes. chips and you know so stuff uh and so you know giving them that information in the beginning it's like yeah stop eating the junk you know standard american diet foods you'll get healthy um and so most people will lose weight and they have that honeymoon period but the problem is then eating a high pro-inflammatory diet then all the other 14 most common diseases from heart disease diabetes cancer alzheimer's and everything else in between increases and we actually have the data to show that i participated in a panel a few years ago on ketogenic diets on certain types of cancers because we do know that in certain brain tumors and certain colon and prostate and all to be you know we're looking at starving out the cancer mm-hmm. and the concept you know the sugar relationship mm-hmm. with my book will cover that in detail. So initially, yeah, but you can do that just on a plant-based diet. You're just not eating the junk foods. That Got is, it. everybody was trying to like avoid, you know, make the sugar the, the danger thing, which, you know, highly refined carbohydrates and highly refined sugars is bad for everybody. But what they were replacing that diet with was something that was pro-inflammatory, not sustainable. And nobody, no culture, none of the centurions that live, you know, around the world that we look in the blue zones eat a ketogenic paleo diet. Right. So, so it's, it's a balanced diet. So, so right? a little bit of a, yes, a little bit of like proof in the pudding. I'm like, okay, no. And, and that's just, you know, you know, people forget that, you know, one in every 40 seconds, an, an American citizen will die of heart disease. So all the, you know, by 800,000, almost 900,000 people, almost, almost a million now coming soon wow. uh, will die mm-hmm. a year. So there's no war on heart disease, but where that's coming from is the cholesterol and cholesterol right. and the inflammation. So it's not just eating animal proteins, the animal protein and other things in their diet, sugar, et cetera, and whatnot, uh, and stress triggers inflammation. And that's what makes the cholesterol more damaging and dangerous. That's why they're looking at inflammation and heart disease. Cause it's not just, Oh, take a drug to lower your cholesterol. It's like, no, we need to lower the inflammation and reduce the cholesterol. Remember cholesterol only comes from animal proteins. So anything that has a mother 
or a face has cholesterol, anything right. that doesn't have a mother face doesn't. So it's just easy to eat less mothers and faces. <laughs> so, okay. you know, it's, and, and it's hard because these are lifestyle changes. You know, we, you know, 17 years ago when we started our lifestyle center, you know, integrative medicine, health and lifestyle center called San Juveni, it's just a lifestyle. So I get patients all the time who come in and sometimes they can change overnight. Some people it's taken them nine years. And then now they're like, you know, they have oh, a life hard. and they've, yeah. they've come up with a crisis, you know, a tumor or this or that. And then they get on board and then now they feel great. Everything is good. They're like, why didn't I do this nine years ago when I first came to see you? It's like, well, I've been saying this from day one, but everybody in time, you know, it's not easy. We're, we're, we're taught. And sometimes we need motivation, right? They say what, um, pain is the mother of all invention and, and right. change. So right. and most of my patients will say cancer has cured them or cancer has steered them in a, in a level of understanding what's really important and not important. I mean, you, you know, many people will say that, you know, I was very successful in my life. I was doing this and then boom, all of a sudden this hit me out of the blue. And it's kind of like recalibrating what is important. Yes. Um, and yes. again, kind of going back to family, food, you know, in nature and Balanced whatever, life. whatever yeah. your spirituality is. Yeah. And, but that's lost because, you know, we all kind of said, you know, more is better. Greed was good. And uh, we kind of lost our way. Absolutely. You've done training in Ayurveda and Ayurveda has something called Pitta. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, there's a Pitta personality and then there's Pitta foods. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Pitta being connected to inflammation as we understand it now? And then in that context, how do you look at foods, plant foods so, so that might thing. be more Pitta pacifying? So, so, so you can actually balance the foods to the dosha. But I, I always supersede, you know, even the body types because it's also based on amounts. So, so even though certain foods might have a quality, right? Say ginger might have a pungent quality, right? So it might have a little bit of heating quality. It still has an anti-inflammatory, gastroprotective, and other, you know, a hundred different benefits of taking it for digestion. Mm-hmm. The idea is that how much in a pitta person I might recommend might be different than how much I would do it in someone who's a, a vata person who would need more. But not saying, but you know, a lot of people want to be cut and dry, like you can't eat these things and you can't eat those things. And that's right. a little bit dogmatic. And also when we look at your individual immune system, some of the things that might be good for you, your immune system, even though your body type might say it's this or that your immune system might say i don't like that which might be good for me so we really want to always kind of refine the individual's treatment and therapy plan based on not only ancient knowledge but also current uh, available data and understand that these things that were given were generalizations and they work right. very well but we also want to look at you know specifics of each individual even when we use uh, conventional medicines we do the same thing we look at you know uh, enzymatic pathways in the liver we look at all sorts of things of how your microbiome is working how you're going to even process that so does so there's a little bit of like we don't just uh, apply those uh, rules to um, traditional medicines or i call more natural medicines we also p- apply those uh, principles to conventional medicine as well. Which takes us to testing. Mm-hmm. So testing's been interesting for me personally, and I know everyone else out there gets very confused because you've got a variety of tests. There's the food, there's the allergy test, there's the sensitivity test, there's really expensive tests like Alcat, which I've done twice. Mm-hmm. And you always look at the results and you go, I don't even know if this was worth it. This doesn't make any right. sense. Correct. So and talk so, about testing so, so, and so, what so, testing so, do you do? So, so here's one thing that we do. And, and, and I'm sometimes critical because they need to be because we're actually using data then from a laboratory to make a recommendation. So we have to really ensure that that data is verifiable um, outside of that own laboratory and that those standards are met to be 
compared and quantified and qualified so that we're as specific and as sensitive as possible. So going back to the lab tests that you mentioned, I won't mention them by name, but you mentioned them uh, for, liability, <laughs> for liability purposes. But you mentioned in the lab, you know, people do that. And a lot of doctors, you know, what's the trend right now is, you know, everybody thinks about foods. So they order a test and most of the practices, most people, you know, who are functional now, naturopaths, chiropractors, MDs, DOs, for example, it's part of a revenue stream of a practice. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, come in and they charge all this money. You know, we're a nonprofit in our clinic. We don't charge any uh, additional money. It's between the patient and the lab. We try to have as much insurance coverage on the testing, even though our services aren't covered, that we want the insurance to cover those kind of testing. So there's programs. So a lot of times people realize that, hey, I can get this test for, you know, a fraction of what, what I was getting at my provider because they don't really understand that the provider was making money on those tests. And that's why some people go, like, oh, they did 20 different tests on me and I, you know, I spent thousands of dollars. And half the time they don't even have the, the clinical experience or the understanding to interpret the test. So they, they come to me like, here's all the tests. I don't know what to do because they, they said, here's your, here's your results. Right. But when it comes to that like laboratory testing, we like to have things that are validated outside the own lab. So a lot of labs will say we have a proprietary testing method, which is only proprietary to our lab and no one else can do it. But that, I don't trust that. You know? Now, once certain people have patents and processes where no one else can do it because they own it, but it can still be verified and, and, and validated outside of the laboratory. So yes, to answer your question, then how sensitive or how specific is it to you? That's the question. And one thing that we like to do is we like to split out the reactions. So there's two types of reactions that people can get from eating a food. One's traditionally called an IgE. It's a, an, I call it an immediate response that happens within one hour of consumption. Of that IgE, 2% can be an anaphylactic reaction. So this is the kind that most physicians are aware of, but they're not understanding the concept of IgE that's non-anaphylactic. So 98% of the people can get an IgE, that means an immediate reaction within an hour, but it's not a life-threatening symptom, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a peanut, in my book you'll read, you know, eventually you'll get it, you'll see, I, had a pe- I have the peanut allergy. So I have, I'm the anaphylactic peanut allergy kit, okay? And that's something that happens within 10 seconds and bam, I have cardiovascular collapse, my throat's, you know, there's my lips are swelling mm-hmm. and now I'm, if I don't have an EpiPen, I'm dead. So conventional medicine is really good at saving people and we're still in the top three in the world for doing acute care. But mm-hmm. when it comes to chronic diseases, for example, like eczema, you know, anything else like that, that's all, you know, asthma, you know, pain, chronic issues like that, you know, those kind of reactions can happen anywhere within an hour. So people can have gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, heartburn, reflux, headache, back pain. That's not going to kill them, but it's happening within an hour. Or the second type of reaction they can get is what they call an IgG4. And that's a delayed reaction that happens anywhere from a few hours up to four days later. So today being Monday, I could have had something on Sunday and today, whatever my symptoms of itis is, be flaring. And mm. so this is what, this is what makes it really a challenge because most people are like, hey, you know, I only know the things that I ate and I got, you know, I got heartburn or I got diarrhea or something. But you know, in four days, Zarina, you and I would probably eat hundred different foods. That's right. If we went out to a restaurant or something is in a package, you know, there's so many variety of ingredients. So you would never really be able to write it down and correlate it because it's not immediately when you eat it, but they all stack. So we like to test both individual uh, reactions so that we can kind of quantify because some of the delayed reactions that you've seen on your test that was mixed, some of those aren't permanent. Some of those are just temporary where the immune system for whatever reason might be having a problem so we can avoid those for a while and do what they call a rotational diet, bring them back in. But you do believe in food sensitivity testing because Absolutely. there's conventional no, no, doctors. No. Well, actually, don't. Yeah, because but see, but because conventional doctors have not been trained in even food or nutrition. So that's where that because remember they're only trained in the IgE. So if you're not anaphylaxing, 
Right. And they don't think you have a, because there's nothing they can do for you from their perspective for chronic inflammatory disease. But we do, we can reverse all of those things. Okay. Okay. Right. But that's the disconnect because we're really good at that. You know, my, like my sensitivity of, I eat this, I'm going to die shellfish or lemons or melons or, you know, things that you see on the movies, uh, the kid has to carry the asthma inhaler. So they they think of that's a, that's a life threatening, but something that's causing chronic inflammatory state, whether it's, you know, shortly within after eating it or a couple of days later, that's not even in their thinking because remember, they're not thinking of the inflammatory trigger. They're just saying, can I save your life now or not? And if it's a new thing, they can, if it's a chronic thing, they'll say, follow up with your doctor in six months. So skin prick testing versus blood testing. Do you do both? No, I don't do the skin prick testing anymore because once you understand inflammation, say traditional, it's kind of funny. It's almost like when we first landed as settlers in this, well, I would say invaders of this country, unfortunately, yeah. uh, to, to give all the respect to all the people here. Um, is that, you know, one of the oldest things that we used to do was skin prick testing, right? right? They actually would just take the antigen or whatever you're allergic to, the protein, and, you know, scratch you. And you, if you got a hive, it was, you would say you'd have an, a sensitivity to that. But now we know that, 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 that histamine reaction in the skin is actually an inflammatory response that initially triggers that. But now we take so many things in our environment, in our diet, prescriptive, non-prescriptive, that have anti-inflammatory effects that make the skin tech skin prick testing not so sensitive and not so specific so for example if you took an ibuprofen if you took a vitamin c if you took a homeopathic if you took a thyroid medication a blood pressure medicine diabetes medication anti-anxiety pill you know there's all these different medications that can affect or blunt these kind of different pathways and so a lot of people who have really bad allergies will say oh yeah i went get skin prick tested they they scratched all my back and either they lit up like a christmas tree everything lit up and they're one big hive or Nothing lit up, and they're like, but I have inhalers. I have, you know, antihistamines. I'm on steroids, and then then they're saying like, you don't have any allergy. I'm like, but I have to take all these things are for allergy. My specialists who tell me that I have an allergy, they just can't figure that out. So that's why we like the 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 blood testing because the nice thing about blood testing is that you don't have to be off of any of the medications. Now, the only contraindication would be someone's on an immunoinfusion therapy because that can falsify tests. But anybody's like even taking prednisone or an antihistamine or any medications, the nice thing is that we can just test them because testing the immune's blood reaction uh, to the exposure to those foods, um, and then we can get that reaction, whether it's an immediate reaction or delayed, which we can't get that from skin prick tests. And are all the labs that are doing blood tests pretty similar, or no. have you found – oh, they're not. Okay, so, so not. tell us – what lab do you recommend? I'm, I won't want to produce, I don't like to, I don't like to promote uh, labs, but uh, we use this one that's very specific that we've been using for over, I think now 13, 14 years. Okay. And, so, and so the idea is that also, you know, a lot of people's, when we look at labs, even functional testing, for example, a lot of people think that one lab does everything and it's not true. You want to look at what their lab is doing that's very specific. So, you know, when most people go to a big company, I'll see like LabCorp or Quest, you know, the big national labs. Right. Yeah, getting a cholesterol test, no blood sugar, no, in your free T3, free T4, your TSH for your thyroid and all this. That's standard. That's routine. They do that very well. But when it comes to certain things like microbiome testing or heavy metal testing or nutritional testing or food testing, you really want to look at who is doing that first and who's been doing it the longest because it's all about the change of the technology over time. Just like you're in the IT world, it's like whoever has the, the fastest server, the best, you know, software is mm-hmm. up to date. And a lot of these larger companies, since they don't do those special t- testing all the time, a lot of the technology that they're using is about 20 years behind, right? So, so mm-hmm. that's where like, yeah, but they do like a million thyroids and cholesterol and blood sugar a day. And, you know what I'm saying? But even vitamin D up until, you know, six or seven years ago when, you know, before they were actually miscalculating vitamin D in one of the largest lab companies, which was then class action sued because they didn't want to change 
all the machines in every drawing station in America, which there was hundreds of locations, right? So they were using a 50s technology. And then people were like, well, why is the doctor recalibrating my numbers when you're charging for the test? Yeah. So, so, so now, you know, now that since everybody does vitamin D testing, for example, then they're able to then quantify, say, hey, we're going to buy this machine or we're going to upgrade the software or whatever. So same thing when it comes to specialty testing, it's very, very unique. So we don't align with one company. It's like, no, for foods, it's this. For microbiome, it's this. For this other things, it's that. For inflammation panel, it's this company. Because we have to look at also t over time, clinically, you know, from my perspective, clinically, it's like, how do we utilize that? And, you know, does it have false positives, false negatives? What are the things that can, can make this test not so sensitive and specific as we'd want it? Now, for someone who's not based right next to you, Mm -hmm. Are you still able to do testing for them, given you're not sharing the names of your labs? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, and it's not to be, I, I just don't, I'm not a promoter. I know, I know. Yeah, I know. And, I, and I don't have any financial tie because we don't yes. charge for that. So that's where yes, I, yes. I, I will someone else will be like, oh yeah, and they get a commission. <laughs> yes. Test, you know? So no, but we do, we do, we do health coaching uh, via Skype. Okay. We're able to do the consultation and they can get this lab test. And again, we try to push everything in their favor. I want people to spend money on therapies, good food, you know, and treatments uh, that are, that are favorable. And, you know, the, re the rest, hopefully we can get to be uh, covered by insurance because they should cover something. Every let's talk, yeah. Let's talk food allergies. Cause that's an epidemic. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see children, not just the anaphylactic type, but just right. general food allergies. Mm -hmm. And explain, you know, you, in your book, you talk about your own experience, but also you talk about the factors that contribute to inflammation from foods. Mm -hmm. And inflammation's four favorite targets. So share with our audience a little bit about that. So really what we're seeing with the rise of the food allergy in the, in the U.S. and the West and now being exported, two aspects. Number one is, you know, which we'll talk about in a minute, we can talk about GMOing and, you know, and, and like glyphosate and other chemicals that are being sprayed on certain products like wheat. So again, it's not the wheat itself. It's actually, it was actually a chemical, which, which that now there's books written on that. I, I highlight the data in, in my book. I have over about 1,500 references to every study and every investigative journal article that has been published on all these effects. So none of the things that I come up in my book is something that I'm just, you know, talking off the top of my head. These are things that are actually published, but just no one's really compiled it in an easy to read format. Mm -hmm. But if those people are interested in, in seeking, you know, how I want to look up that, you know, that article, you can read it. But it's what, what we've done to the environment to change a lot of these things. And what both the, the chemicals from the pesticides, herbicides, endocrine disruptors, um, on the foods and then GMO into the foods to also what we've taken by therapies like antibiotics, for example, and chemotherapy agents and other things. These are all affecting microbiome. So what's a, how do we get the food sensitivities is that there's dysfunction in our microbiome. And that's where in the first and second chapter of my book, I go into very, very strong detail explaining your whole microbiome because that's where the immune system is functioning. 80% is, is there. Okay, so people want to know mm -hmm. where's your immune system. Eighty percent is in your gut, and so uh, I'll just give you a clear example using my peanut allergy, but also give you an example that there was a recent. I was at a conference in February, uh, and they were at Scripps, and they were talking about um, microbiome, and they they showed three wonderful studies: one on Parkinson's disease, one on autism, one on schizophrenia, and also one on the peanut allergy, and. We now understand that the, these are patients, even though they're different spectrum, right? We have a young child with a, what we think is a neurological issue of autism in the brain. And we see someone who's elderly with Parkinson's with a neurological issue in the brain. And say someone who's in the midlife, maybe 50s, is homeless, who's schizophrenic on the street, something in their brain. And someone like me, that just I have a, just a really you know, severe uh, anaphylactic to a food, is that these are all caused by dysfunction in the microbiome. 
has very little to do with the brain. But the microbiome is the point of entry, which is knocked out by via antibiotics or some kind of you know illness but we are not able to replenish certain species in fact in the studies they showed that a specific species for each of these conditions when given improved their symptoms about 70 percent which is really profound okay so you get this autism kid you saw this parkinson's patient see the schizophrenic patient and they got better by just giving a specific species the problem is those spe those species are not commercially available because it's going all pharmaceutical route through clinical trials but it does show us that the microbiome is important in that because what happens is in my book, as you mentioned before, I think when we talked earlier about leaky gut, it's about when certain species aren't there. Remember, we have over a thousand different species, um, 100 trillion of the different population, and it weighs about four pounds in your gut. Okay, and the mm -hmm. surface lining of your entire GI tract, which I cover in my book, is the size of two Wimbledon-sized tennis courts. So it's a huge amount of surface area. So this is why you know, the diet is so important because how you absorb your proteins, carbohydrates, and fats, and your micronutrients, and micronutrients, and all these other things is important. And if that's dysfunctional, then that's the first, you know, what I call point of entry where certain things come in that cause then the inflammation to go to sensitive areas like the brain or the joints. You know, in my book, I, I talk about what they call the roof leak. Okay, in New Mexico, we have flat roofs, so hopefully whenever you come mm -hmm. out and visit us here, you see everybody, we have all this Santa Fe style, kind of Adobe style, flat roofs. They don't, they're mm -hmm. not pitched, so they have a tendency to collect water, and then people get roof leaks. Same thing with your body. So your body's like, I always tell people, your body's like a flat New Mexico roof. When it rains, if it doesn't have a place to drain, it just looks for the weakest link. Interesting. And that's, and that's, where inflammation, that's a great analogy. Yeah, and that's where it goes. Now, if there's trauma in the body, like say a tree falls on your roof and a denser roof, then every time it rains, it's got to go right there. So when someone has a traumatic injury of any kind, no matter how long ago, so say you say, hey, you know, when I was in college, I was playing, you know, tennis or soccer or, or I fell off my motorcycle or something. And that was like when I was 15 and you got some kind of injury to your knee in college or something. And people now they say in their 50s saying, oh, my knee's flaring because I have arthritis. They're not doing anything that's causing the damage. There's still a pro-inflammatory trigger that's coming from their diet, lifestyle, and environment that goes to that sensitive area to cause the itis to continue. Right, that so that makes a lot of sense. All this, like arthritis and degenerative disc disease, and all these other things, even on the osteoporosis aspect, it's not diseases of aging; it's mm. chronic diseases of getting inflammation to certain areas in each individual. Over very time. interesting, very interesting. And as you've already shared, what those inflammatory triggers are. So, food allergy testing then clearly is a critical thing, but so is fixing the the microbiome. What are your recommendations in fixing the microbiome? So we do microbiome testing. And the idea is because, I mean, for, first we, we have all the studies showing that when you eat a plant-based diet, you're actually changing the, actually the microbiome culture. Okay, so that's key. So, we, so it's the food itself, it's not just like the nutritional component. The microbiome is actually changing its own epigenetics. And so we understand now how we can actually um, become more protective against disease by changing the microbiome. First, what we do is we analyze what their microbiome is because most, most of us have had slew of antibiotics. You know, I've had chronic sinus, sinus infection or respiratory infections. Oh, I get a ZPAC or a Cipro or, you know, urinary tract infection or, or when we were kids, a lot of, you know, strep throats and ear infections. So we all have had some kind of antibiotics. A lot of us have surgeries. A lot of us also have cancer patients have chemotherapy. So whatever that we have been exposed to, that affects the microbiome. So by doing the microbiome testing, we can actually see 
what's there. So I can see someone's uh, digestive function. You know, well, how's your digestive enzymes? Are you absorbing protein, carbohydrates, and fats? Mm -hmm. Some people are spilling them. So like, I can't lose weight. I can't gain weight, Dr. Bai. I'm eating avocados and all the healthy fats that they all tell me to eat, and I can't, you know, they're losing that function. We can learn, is there inflammation in the gut now by actual specific markers? We can actually show, is there actually leaky gut? Is a fecal secretory IgA elevated, for example? Eosinophilic protein X, if it's elevated, we already know that there's food sensitivity. So I need to then, you know, sometimes I do one or the other, and that kind of leads me to say, oh, we need to do this. Even though the patient might say, I don't think I have any foods. If your gut has inflammation and it tells me the cells are lining your gut are specific for those kind of reactions, then yes, you do. And then we will further define that. And also will tell us a little bit about like, you know, are they getting enough fiber? Are they detoxifying? Are they, uh, are they excreting out all the hormones and toxins or are they recycling them? It tells us about the commensal bacteria of like all your probiotics. Good and bad. You know, they actually will identify, for example, overgrowths of different types of bacteria and uh, candida, yeast of fung fungal organisms, and even parasites. Anything that comes back uh, a little bit out of range, they will identify the species. And most importantly, then they will test and culture based on that individual's growth, the sensitivity and resistance to therapies. So it's not just like, you know, when you got, say, say someone says, oh, I did SIBO testing. And what they do, they empirically just treat someone with an antibiotic, broad right. spectrum. You know, or someone says uh, they go to an alternative practitioner or a regular doctor and they say, hey, it sounds like you have candida. Okay, here's an, you know, here's an anti-candida medication. But the problem is, Rena, is that most people, believe it or not, have resistance to microbial therapies, whether you've taken it a lot mm -hmm. or not. The community has. Mm -hmm. Millions of people today have taken azithromycin or ciprofloxin today. Mm -hmm. And so when we see people that come in, you know, oh, uh, I've had this, most of, the, most of the things on their test will be resistant to things that they've already tried. And that's why they're not better. So it's like, oh, I'm on my sixth uh, sinus infection this year and right. a course of antibiotics or my urinary tract infection or whatever. It's because those drugs don't work. And even on the, the panel, they also do natural antimicrobial therapy. So we have another crowd of people like, oh, I only take oregano oil every time I get sick or berberine or, you know, uber ursi, mm -hmm. for example, and they're resistant to that now. Interesting. Interesting. Right. So we want to always be very specific and individual. It's not saying this is better than that. It's like, what is more target and what's less toxic? That makes a lot of sense. What about sinus infection, since you mentioned it? What drives sinus infection? Two things. So, well, three things. We know that most people will have a history of having inhalant allergies or seasonal or environmental allergies. We test for that. Grass, weeds, trees, molds, dust mites, cats, dogs, and the roach dust. So those are the kind of big categories. Mm -hmm. And then there's zones of where people live. So in New Mexico, for example, we have a 300-mile radius of where we get our daily pollens. It's a lot. That's why we live here because we can see these beautiful sunsets right. every day, but just as much the sunset can see us. So it's <laughs> that, that clear. Whereas, you know, for example, you in the Bay Area, that, that zone of what you get of the, of, the, of the plants and the weeds and the grasses and trees and stuff is slightly different. So we look at the maps, you know, from the immunological data, and then there's panels that have been developed. And so that's just an inflammatory response in the sinus cavity due to something that we breathe. Okay. That's only, but that's only 50%. The other 50% is still with foods because when you eat a food, it's triggering this internal inflammation. So what happens is that's why when people have, for example, congestion in the winter. So it could be, say, in a few weeks, it'll be snowing okay, here in Albuquerque. So we'll have, say, snow over Christmas. And then people say, I still have congestion, but it's not the grasses or the juniper or the cottonwoods or the ragweed. It's something that they're eating that's actually causing the congestion. It's just worse in spring and summer because you're getting hit outside and hit from inside. Got it. The third thing is the immune system. So yeah, so if the immune system is not strong, then it's not able to fight, fix, and repair. We get, we get a lot of inflammation. The sinus, the sinus doesn't drain. And then from that inflammation, then we get the infection, both virus and bacteria. 
Got it. That makes sense. And what about the histamine reaction from probiotics? There's a lot of people that I know that have tried to fix their gut, but they actually react with a strong histamine reaction to a probiotic, whether it's a kombucha or whether it's a pill that they're popping. What's that all about? I've not seen that so much so. Uh, we have to see what the form of the probiotic that they're taking. Um, one of the issues that we do see, not necessarily histamine, but sensitivities with probiotics is that 95, you know, most of the products on the market are still containing a uh, amount of dairy in them. Mm. So when they say 95% dairy free, it still contains 5% dairy. So someone comes back with a dairy allergy, you know, especially in IgE, they're even taking a probiotic, they can still have a reaction to that. And so like when we look at, you know, manufacturing, we like using 99.99%. So it's less than two parts of million per million of a dairy protein that so, so someone can have anaphylaxis, for example, to dairy, and they can take our probiotic and not have a reaction. But most people, you know, even most parents will say, Oh, my kids allergic to dairy, they go buy something at the store, but they don't realize there's, there's this restriction on how much is qualified. So they can say, Oh, it says dairy free, it still has a certain amount of dairy protein. That's one oh, thing. Interesting. Also, there's you know, the microbiome is unique because there is different species, and there is a little bit of a like when we look at overgrowth in the gut, and and, and people say SIBO or anything, any, any kind of bacteria. When we repopulate, there's usually an exacerbation of symptoms because remember you're having right. squat, you're having squatters in your gut. You know, right. like, I always tell people like if you're not home, and some people you know, because remember we actually test the microbiome. It'll tell you like how many good of the top species and then how many additional overgrowth. So a lot of people are missing a lot of the good, even if they take a probiotic. Because remember, most probiotics on the market, 5 billion, 10 billion you know, uh, species, you have 100 trillion in your gut. That's a drop in the bucket. That's a drop in the bucket, right? Yeah. So over time, you'll see. And there's, there's also a lack of the amount. We only have about 40 commercial uh, species available, even though we know that there's a 1,000 that they've identified that's still in academic circles of, of describing who named it, who owns it, and showing that it's safe to release it in the market. So we can give more, but obviously in each person, there could be differences. Also, we have to be careful with some of the kombuchas and something like that. I may not be the probiotic at all. They might have a sensitivity to the fermenting of foods, like the mm -hmm. brewer's yeast, right? right. So there's, there's always other things in a food or a supplement, like, oh, uh, I'm taking this one, and it's not necessarily that the main ingredient. It's the delivery or that, the other aspect of the, the food or the, or the drug or the supplement. That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk detox. Why is detox so critical? Well, detox is critical because we're all toxic. <laughs> all of us every one of us all of us is toxic you live in america in 2017 you know unfortunately not all you know like people in a certain place like flint you know that's unfortunate right because they're just getting toxics just coming from their water system but right. you know we're, we're not america is not where it used to be right so now we can find heavy metals we can find all sorts of toxins in our environment and predominantly in our foods now yes. so that's that's where most you know there's a industry saying is the answer to pollution is dilution Right. So now what we see is that a lot of the food companies have added more things into their ingredients because it's not for your health. It's for how do we disperse other what they call inert ingredients. Right. And so, so when you look at it, you know, whether it's a, a body like a shampoo that, you know, used to have only like five ingredients now has 50 ingredients, 25 to 50 ingredients. All those things are chemistry numbers there. Yes. You know, if you went to a regular big box and got a big old, you know, shampoo and conditioner bottle, um, 
it's the offshoot. My book will cover that and how that's, how that's occurring, but really we're getting exposure more and more than people know. So it's not like you have to live in a Flint, Michigan or, or near a fracking station. And it's like, no, if you, if you go get your food at a regular grocery store and you eat, you know, you put these products in your body every day, your shampoo, your conditioner, your body sprays and your deodorants and your lips, you're still getting exposure to hundreds of chemicals. And now we're able to actually test. So part of the testing that we do from the nutritional standpoint is part of the panel talks about heavy metals. Uh, we also can look at detoxification in terms of your alpha lipoic, your glutathione, your CoQ10 levels, uh, even more so looking at the MTHFR gene, looking at the genetic variant of, do you have trouble with detoxification? Mm-hmm. Are, are you recycling these things, you know, and does your B vitamins have to be methylated or not? So, you know, we can just now define sensitive people. You know, a lot of people have sensitivities where they say, oh, I can't take anything. I take a, if my doctor gives me a prescription, I always have a side effect. And, or if, I, if my naturopath gives me a supplement, I have a side effect. Mm-hmm. And now we understand why it's because if they're not breaking down even good things correctly, and if, they don't, if their liver function, for example, those detoxification markers and enzymes and factors are not strengthened, then even good intentions and good products can still cause side effects. So now we understand, you know, we can define, I always understood that because, you know, we have this kind of practice where we just see those kind of sensitive people. But most of these people are shuffled from doctor to doctor or thrown out of practices and clinics because like they, they find them difficult. But it's not difficult. They're just more unique and we have to understand what are their sensitivities and then redefine their therapies and direction for optimum health. So what do you do if some, you find someone, if you've got a patient who is reacting to every supplement that they're taking, what do you recommend? What is your so, detox so, protocol? So, so we actually start back at, you know, from an Ayurvedic standpoint, like if we're looking at Panchakarma, is changing the diet. And that's a little bit another discussion, but it's like really restarting the Agni in the gut. So it's not, it's, so it's like we have to rebuild it. So when we do the microbiome testing, it's not only from a functional standpoint of, you know, whatever's deficient or whatever's lacking, you know, can we give the immunoglobulins and the glutamines and, you know, that's all common knowledge. So yes, we can do that. But it's really what is the foods and the sustenance that we need to give that's the easily digestible that has the highest amount of protein content. And that's where Ayurveda comes in magically because western medicine you know even in the plant-based world we kind of miss that a lot of people kind of still do like here's tons of juicing and let's just you know juice a million things and mm-hmm. in the beginning of that that can be helpful to get kind of just people haven't been eating those foods but you still have to improve the overall agni we call it the fire that digests the function and if you don't get that strong and um in a, in a good place, then it doesn't matter what we give, right? So it's the whole microbiome aspect. It's like you have to fix that first. Otherwise, even changing to a plant-based diet or even taking a great supplement or even a medication that they're taking won't work as effectively. And so there's, there's ways that we do that. Um, but that's, that's super key. If we don't do that, and most practitioners don't. So most practitioners- And how long does it take to rebuild the Agni? Depending on the person, depending on their body type, depending on their comorbid conditions. And the biggest thing is depending on compliance of their lifestyle change. Because people can change that pretty quickly. We can improve that. But some people, particularly those people who have had chemotherapy, right, mm-hmm. or, or chronic disease, like they've been sick for a long time, say with colitis patients, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, those things are completely reversible. In fact, when we see patients with, say, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, we love those patients. Because that's, mm-hmm. that's the simplest and easiest patient to fix. Because the gut is where their problem is specifically right. when it gets to further areas like joints, like a rheumatoid patient, uh, we, we can help per- stop the progression of a rheumatoid arthritis patient, but that degeneration of that joint has pretty much happened, right? So if they have a little bit of a, you know, an angle of their, of their finger in one direction, I can't fix it. I can prevent it from progressing. 
Got it. And I can lower their pain. But you know, so certain things, it's like, no, that's that's kind of that's 25 years of, of damage to a joint and it, it turning in the wrong direction or breaking down. But can we right. fix that body so the joints don't do that anymore? Absolutely. What about infrared saunas for detox or chlorella and spirulina and some of those, those other kind of supplements? So from the supplement standpoint, yes. You know, uh, one of the things that we'd have to look at is, you know, if there was patients that have uh, heavy metals, then the things like that you mentioned, spirulina and chlorella are wonderful. But we also have to look at source, right? So we have to, you know, we ensure that they're all organic, they're all grown in tanks. Mm-hmm. You cannot be having any kind of spirulina chlorella product coming from Japan. Post-Fukushima. Right. You're just picking up all season 117. It's an alginate. It's, an, it's a chelator. It binds to those things. So there's a, there's a trouble because, you know, people say, hey, I've been taking these things and, you know, it's at the health food store and it's like, well, right. that could actually be causing more toxicity because of source. So that's where we're looking at food, looking at source, looking at supplement, looking at source. So good ideas, but some people, you know, shop on price or just shop on, hey, I got, you know, uh, this practitioner sold me this, but where's that coming from? So we're really good at looking at, you know, quality, potency, purity, safety, efficacy first. That makes a lot of sense. As we talk about uh, detox, how do you do testing? How do we find out what toxins I might actually have? So that's what I mentioned before. So looking at certain heavy metals, looking at certain- So there's can- testing. So there's, there's actually te- there's a test testing. panel there's that you testing. run. There's okay. a spelling that we run. And also, it, it also tests the functional ability for you to detox, okay? And that's why, for example, some people, when we look at their, their panels and we can look at their, their certain levels in their liver uh, of detoxification, and we're not talking about liver enzymes from a conventional standpoint, which their tests might be normal, but functionally, they're not normal, right? So we're not talking right. about liver damage, cirrhosis, oh, I took a statin or I have alcohol, right. hepatitis. We already know that if that's a problem. But there's are people like, oh, you know, I drink alcohol and I just feel wiped out. I had a cocktail yesterday at a party or, you know, I watched the football game, I had a beer, and I just, I don't want to drink anymore. Just, it's not that they're drinking a lot, just they have trouble breaking it down. Same thing with the drugs, same thing with the supplements. So Got it. We're, able, we're able to assess that. The nice thing is that we're able to correct that. And that's again back to just the Agni. You don't do liver supplementation like we do. live tracks. Oh, you do. Okay. We do. We do. We do liver supplementation. We do specific formulas, but you know, where you get your alpha pork source, Italy or Germany, anywhere else is coming from China. Right? So 90% of that comes from China. So you don't get the benefit. There's a cost gradient between uh, about two pounds of, of coming from Germany and Italy will source about $1,200 a kilogram coming mm. from, from China. It's about $90 per kilogram. Wow. So most supplements use the cheaper version. Of course. Price point. And most physicians don't know that because they're just like buying companies and you know, even the doctor's companies don't fare very well. Like we're really particular. Each product we use, we have, to, you know, but that's also with 17 years of experience of using things, you know what works, what right. doesn't work. And we also look at manufacturing. So that's why when I went into formulation and looking at those things from, you know, pretty much from farm to tables, we say are for the clinical uh, study, we only use things that are patented, that we only use things that are coming from that source. So we, we don't really rely on third-party individuals because that's where, in, the, in this industry where it's not heavily regulated, then people, you know, dilute, adulterate all the time. Got it. Let's talk NSAIDs. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, something I took, Poptus candies, um, four days out of a month, every month, and I know I'm not alone. Right. I think, you know, any any female between the ages of 16 and and 51 probably pops some kind of an NSAID every sure, month. Sure, and it's not only females. It's one-third of the population pops one a day. So one-third one of the population a, wow. takes, takes NSAIDs every day. And that's why when you go to the big box stores and you say you were to buy a generic ibuprofen product, you know, they sell it in 2,000 caplet bottles. 
Wow. And they, and they sell a twin pack for 10% discount in the big box stores. So people are buying 4,000 caplets at one time, right? So, so even though you think, well, gosh, I was taking quite a lot, there's people who take it like literally, like you mentioned before, M&Ms. And now what's wrong with it? What's wrong with the NSAIDs? And, so, and why is it that something so dangerous is still on the market? Yeah. So there's something called a black box warning. And my book will cover this in detail. And this is kind of what actually pushed me to write the book and actually formulate Boss America SR, which is our anti-inflammatory product. It's because since everybody has inflammatory problems and since one third of the population takes an NSAID daily is when people look at a monograph, a monograph is the, the, the pharmacology data on a drug that's an insert, for example. Um, it will tell you what they call the common reactions and the serious reactions of a side effect from a drug. So let's just take uh, ibuprofen. So the common reactions of ibuprofen would be uh, a little bit of nausea, a little heartburn, a little bit of constipation, uh, ringing in the ears, some rash, some you know, sun sensitivity, those kind of things like that. Um, they even cause headache. So, you, you know, so even though you're treating your headache, you can get a headache. But the idea is that they're not life-threatening. They're just common, right? So the, the distinction is that we had serious reactions, which were serious, and they were life-threatening. But the serious reactions were considered rare. So physicians and pharmacists and doctors and most people would be just say, oh, this is the common side effect that you'll get. The rare things were rare, so we wouldn't talk about them because they were rare. But anything that's, that's, that's a rare serious condition that starts to occur commonly, okay, mm -hmm. then, the, then the FDA puts out what they call a black box warning. And a black box warning, basically, when you look at my book and you see the little picture, it'll show a picture of a coffin. Right, because we're really trying to explain what the black box means. Is that the, the, the FDA is basically saying, like, you, these are certain warnings of the drug that can put you in that box six wow. feet underground, right? And so it's not to be funny. It's like, no, that's a serious warning. Now, not every drug has. But we ignore it because there's, we ignore all the legalese because it's just so sure. hard to figure it out. So I think sure. it's really important for everyone to listen to what you're saying here. Don't take those black box warnings lightly. lightly. Lightly, because it comes, remember, the black box warning, so for example, for, for ibuprofen, uh, naproxen, and, and silicoxib, okay, which is, you know, the Motrin Advils and, and the Celebrexes and the, and, the, and the Aleves and those kind of things like that, which the generic or brand name doesn't matter, same molecule, is they're all in the NSAIDs, and they all still have the three similar warnings, okay? And since the FDA put that on the, the product, it basically says that you can take an NSAID and have a heart attack, okay, at any time. Okay, you can you can have a GI bleed, stomach, intestine perforation at really? any time, or a stroke at any time, and it doesn't matter how many you take. So you just taking it a few times a month, or even one time a month. Oh, I got some back pain, or had a menstrual cramp, or you know, I played, I did, a, you know, I, I did a really hard yoga session, or worked out some cardio, lifted some weights a little heavier. So I took that. You can have a heart attack, a stroke, or a GI bleed at any time. So it doesn't. It's not necessarily related to use, although more will increase the risk. Um, less does not lower the risk. The risk is there. Now, here's the problem. Since that black box warning is on there, when you open up a container or bottle or even the little pack, I was just flying yesterday coming in uh, from Colorado. And, you know, at the airport, I was sitting there and I was buying a bottle of water, which is very expensive in the airport now. And uh, mm -hmm. there's this little thing, you know, next to the bottle of water. And it had like all the little ibuprofen little packets, you know, like two little caplets there for like $1.99 or something for someone that has a headache. Mm -hmm. I just was looking at that. And what happens is even from that little packet to a big bottle that you get at the, the pharmacy store, the big box store, once you tear open that package, once you open that, you've accepted the terms and condition herein of the black box warning. Oh, interesting. 
Okay. So it's just like, you know, since you're in the tech world, I use your example, yeah. right? Like when we get by the, using uh, the site, you yeah, accept yeah, yeah. the terms or and when conditions. You, when you, even when you get the box of the new phone, you open the box, you cut that little tag. It says you've accepted it. Would you just cut that little, the That's little right. the tape, right? And then everything, and then you turn it on. So I'm like, oh, terms and conditions. Okay. I never read the Apple agreement. It's like 50 pages. I did it once. That's right. But then afterwards, I'm like, well, gosh, I will never be able to do anything if I don't, don't <laughs> accept it. So we do that. No one's going to die. From, I mean, you can get a virus. You can have some problem with your computer, but you're not going to die from that. But you can get a heart attack, a stroke, or a GI bleed. Now, when you look at you know, heart attack being the no- number two cause of death in the United States, stroke being number four, right? Those and are- and yeah. now, now we look that, at that when people come in, even for the heart attack, even in the warning, you don't, even if you have normal cholesterol levels, Okay. Mm-hmm. So say you have normal cholesterol levels. So people say, okay, you don't have a risk of heart attack because you have normal cholesterol levels, but you have any comorbid core factor for heart disease, obesity, 70% of America right now. Okay. Um, high blood pressure, half of Americans have high blood pressure, uh, insulin resistance or diabetes. Again, the majority of the population has some kind of blood sugar or pre blood sugar problem. They can still have a heart attack, even if the cholesterol levels are normal. Okay, so that means it's not it's not leaving anybody out of this this risk. So even someone who's plant based, vegan, organic, mm-hmm. kumbaya, yeah. they're, still, they're still at risk, right? And yeah. that's the bad thing because people are like, hey, I don't eat this, I don't eat that, I'm not yeah. eating that, I'm not, I'm, you know, organic and all this stuff, and I got you know I got a headache, and you know people at school and you know every kid. And in my book, I even chronic the commercialism of that has changed. Yes. So. so yeah, both you and I, you know, I'm a product of the eighties, you know, uh, you know, watching a lot of television from the eighties. And so I just remember like, you know, seeing a, a, an ibuprofen, uh, a commercial and they would show, you know, someone usually in their sixties, you know, retired yes. 65, yes. grandma, grandpa, you know, a little, little back pain, a little playing tennis or playing with the grandchildren. Oh, I'm playing golf. And then, you know, I take my ibuprofen product. Um, but now if you look at the same brand, same company, you'll see that there's children in the commercials. You'll see kids with backpacks and bicycles and, and they, they used to have these commercials where they show like pictures of all the different faces of people who use the product, you know, and it was just like, Oh, all day long and you know 24 hours or 12 hours of relief of these products but the idea is like why is a kid you know who's 15 12 10 taking this we have soccer moms and soccer dads that when kids get out of the van going to practice every kid gets one going to the game and coming back back from the game right so it's commonly used every day maybe your mom and my mom wouldn't do that but now it's like oh because it's over the counter it should be safe people think that you know well isn't there fda yeah the fda says that you can have a heart attack she bleed a stroke at any time and you've accepted that so when that happens and we have cases all the time particularly young women going to college you know having menstrual cramps buying someone's model once a, or any of these kind of products you know just even once a month they take it these are people who are not taking it all the time they're not the rheumatoid patient who has a higher risk just taking it once a month bam they get a gi bleed then they'll blame maybe she was stressed maybe she was drinking right and all this, because no one looks even when someone comes in with a heart attack they go oh well maybe their cholesterol but maybe the blood pressure wasn't controlled and when we actually look at all the parameters they're all good. They were taking the medications. They were doing what they were told. The only cofactor that no one's really looking at was the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory that's over the counter. That's not a quote unquote, a prescribed drug, you know, it's like an over the counter. Now, once they have that, so the answer to your other question that you mentioned very, very, very um, um, specifically was, 
well, why don't they put it, why don't they take it off the market if it's so dangerous? Because they put the black box warning. So since one third of the population takes it every day, then every manufacturer, in fact, you know, is saying, hey, I'm retired. What can I invest in, right? Well, right. If, you want to be, if you want to be an evil genius, you know, the thing is like one third of people take a product. So that's why when you go to the pharmacy store, you, there's one aisle literally from one side of the store to the other side that has generic ibuprofen. Right, Walprofen, CVS, that's right, that's right, and it can be Renoprofen, Sunilprofen, because you know it's just based on price point, packaging, soft gel, fast tab, you know, blister pack, blah blah, liquid, chewable, gummy, whatever, right? Right, and every so that's why, why is everybody selling it because one third of the population takes it and there's no liability, right? So there's no liability, everybody's like, hey, you know, um, uh, they all say, well, it's, it's like the gun things like guns don't kill people people do it's kind of like well ibuprofen is kill yes. people. people who take the ibuprofen like, that's right kill themselves. You know, kill themselves it's like that's not really how it should be but that's what it is and you know rightfully so fda has given the warning but the average person i mean it's not until roughly around 2009 that that black box warning really kind of come into play and we've all been taking this for 50 years right and now we have the data which we'll show in my book uh, rightfully so is that even for the indications that people were originally taking it say arthritic diseases, right? Within two years, you start seeing radiographical changes of worsening progression of disease. So they've done, and we have all the studies in all Europe, they've done them all. They were doing multi-center orthopedic trials looking at degeneration of disc disease, of the, of the cartilage, of the joint, of the tissues, of the bone structure even, uh, of taking non-NSAIDs. But what do people take it for? Arthritis. Now, if you ask anybody who has arthritis, this is the classic story. Oh, yeah, you know, when I was about 40 or you know, 50 or whatever, I started taking, I'd take one a day. And then I took two twice a day. And then, you know, two every four hours. Then they go to the one, twi- you know, the one for 12 hours. Now I'm taking this one and that one. Not understanding that why is their disease getting worse when they're actually taking more medication? It's because the medication is actually making their disease worse. That's incredible. It is it's really incredible awesome. that there's no true moderation and it's america man <laughs> <You know that>. <laughs> <laughs> so this i is, think this is capitalism at its best right it, it is it's, like on the healthcare costs we spent 4.3 trillion dollars last year in healthcare okay we're, we're now ranked 16 out of 18 of the top democracies from death from all causes our life expectancy is 34 out of 35 industrial countries our outcome of diseases that are chronic, not the acute care in the hospital, not the uh, gunshot wound or the car accident or, you know, the, the, the heart attack aspect, but everything that's outside of that emergency room, right? Asthma, allergy, right. depression, obesity, heart disease, cancer, and all. We're now 46 out of 48 industrial nations. We're ranked 46. So who's above us? Like 43, 44, 45. It's Turkey, uh, Romania, and Iran. Oh my God! So this like, breaks you know, my heart. So breaks my like, heart. You know, so like, yeah, they're bombing people here. Okay, maybe we have some not so good relationship here. I'm not worried about some other, but they still have better healthcare. They have better outcome of. They have healthier job. people. They have healthier published, even though they didn't spend. You know, we spend more money than all the, sure of these countries combined, more than most people's GDPs. Right. Well, we spend more money because, as as I think you're implying, that money isn't necessarily spent on valid healthcare. It's, it's commercialism. It's a lot of people making a lot of money. And it's something called disease management. And that's yes. where we went wrong um, in our book and the way we approach things with our patients. It's, it's called disease resolution. What the other 45 countries do better than us is they're not saying that they're better. It's that they cannot afford not to fix it. 
And right. so they fix things. They go to the root, you know, what is the cause of the illness? And they look at things uh, from that standpoint of a healing standpoint versus us is like, well, let's suppress the symptoms. And so then you're, you're you know, disease management. So you have diabetes. The rest, you know, you can reverse diabetes. You can reverse heart disease. Six months, we can reverse five-vessel coronary artery disease. But that's not what conventional medicine tells you when no, you get because, diagnosed with diabetes. Right, because from when, when you say, for example, if you went for a uh, angiogram or stent or a heart transplant, so heart transplant would be $750,000 on the hospital, right? Exactly. So, so, so back to the money-making. There's no right. incentive to reverse, even though the data for 30 years in cardiology, like we can just have people eat this way, do these little simple things. You can reverse the coronary plaque. No drug can do that. There's no drug that reverses coronary plaque that the diet can't do better, safer, more effectively. But no one makes money telling you to eat healthy. I mean, even in the hospital, you can see that now there's fast food restaurants in hospitals. That's right. So, so there's a little bit of like, and so then, and then the doctors themselves aren't healthy. And then how can they ex explain if they haven't had nutrition training to get healthy when they're not healthy themselves? They're taking the same pills that they prescribe to their patients. They just take the samples out of their closet a lot of times. So the only way we're going to win this war is if we empower every patient, every consumer in America to take charge of their own health. It's and all about taking back their health and it's all about empowerment. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of the matrix. I use this all the time in my, my lectures and when I always have a picture. And for those people who haven't seen the matrix, then go watch the movies from really, really old. Oh, it's the coolest movie. Love the Black Latic. You know, yeah. You know, but, uh, but the concept where Morpheus is talking to Neo, right? And, yeah. and there's a part when once you start realizing, hey, there's something wrong with this picture, you have a choice to pick the you know, the blue pill or the red pill. And the concept is you can take the blue pill and you can wake up in your fairy land of, you know, going to work every day, sloshing it and just, you know, living kind of without the knowledge or the empowerment or more of the consciousness. Or you can take the, the red pill and we'll take you down the rabbit hole. But once you take that red pill, once you start knowing, once you read my book, for example, you know, it's, it's kind of a big eye opening because it's not saying it's one industry. It's not the evil pharmaceutical or the healthcare industry or the supplement industry or the insurance. It's all, you know, everybody's in the, in the profitability, you business of managing disease even if from a from a health food store standpoint there there no one's resolving it and our goal is like once you once you understand that it's not just as simple as like well i only take natural products or i only only shop organically or i only you know it's it's more it's a it's a variety of factors that's what causes illness it's not just one chemical or one exposure or one food that's, but that's how everything is being sold, right? Wheat's right. the all cause of problem or, or, you know, oh, it's just the, uh, the fracking fluid is all the cause of, no, it's, it's this, 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 and that. It's a combination. Combination. Yeah. And which is why it takes a combination of things to get healthy, not one pill. Let's that's why we have 10 steps. That, yes, <laughs> let's talk sugar. <laughs> and even in the 10 steps, there's even steps within that because again, and that's where people fall short because everybody sells a book on one thing. Right. Do this one. And, and, and that one thing is usually kind of, in, in most cases, correct to a certain level. But then the, why they fail later on is because it's more than one thing. Right? It is. It is. It's and lifestyle you, redesign, you, as you, I call you it. Cook more using more than one spice. Right. Yes. But everybody wants to just sell you the magic spice, yes. the magic, you know, the, the, the key secret ingredient. But yes. that's not how, you know, the good tasting food has all the taste, has all the profile of all the nutrients. And so well, we need to acquire that taste again, because I think lab based food has been designed to be addictive and our palates have changed. Mm -hmm. um, I spend, gosh, 16, 17 months eating home cooked food. And when I started eating the regular food again, because I'm back to eating everything. I realized how addictive the non-homemade food is because it's designed as such. 
it is so addictive. In in fact, I actually have a section in my book which talks about the addiction, not only to the sugar, but to all the fats, the sugar, the salt, how it's like, there's books that have been- The chemicals, yeah. My book, I actually have it in the back. Like these are books and movies on Netflix and documentaries that you should read because it takes this section that I have into further detail. But we're able to actually spike foods- um, through food science. So there's a little section of a book where I mentioned like when I was going to medical school and I finished and when I went to residency, there was two students that I knew who went to work. Instead of going to residency, they went to work for food science companies. They, and they get paid you know, six-figure salaries more than any cardiologist or oncologist. They make, they make more per year. And what they would do is they would actually sit in the laboratory working for big food companies who make snacks. And they actually help formulate via the glycemic spike of foods Wow. Okay. And so when someone takes a, I can't, I don't want to name any foods because I'll probably get in trouble, but so you <laughs> take a, a crispy, chocolatey, wafery, nougaty, you know, type of thing. We all like crisp and you eat it. Yes. And it's not just the size, the taste, the smell. That's a whole science to the shape, the size, the smell. But part of it's also the, the collaboration of all those food particles uh, to make you spike and crash with a certain time regulation. And everybody's on the same cycle. And so, for example, it's time so that, you know, someone will take it. You and I would take it. Say if you worked at an office and there was a cubicle or kid at school, the next, the next break, we go, what do we do? They run to the vending machine. They eat something. They have this nice spike. They feel really good. I had my little candy. I had my little cookie, whatever. And then you crash. And then by the next break, you're back at the vending machine. Right. But we all think genius, right? It's brilliant. Evil genius. and we all think it's like our individual, like that's my favorite thing or, or that's my weak spot. It's not. It's physiology. They're controlling your physiology. So whether it's me, you, or the Pope, you know, and the, and the, and the jar says, you know, bet you can't eat one. Uh, yeah, because once you eat it, you're just going to, you know, have all those, those, those chemicals. Right. And there's certain that's things right. that are actually even more addicting, like uh, uh, putting in dairy. Uh, and, and certain uh, milk products. And the casein that contains casomorphins uh, from dairy, that's why dairy is so addictive, is the, you know, cheese, for example, has seven times more casomorphins. Casomorphins mm-hmm. are morphine proteins that stimulate in our brain when we look at a functional MRI the part of the brain of opioids, okay, like cocaine and, and is heroin. Is that right? And that's why now people say, well, why would, why would the milk have that? It's because the dairy is something that the, the cow is feeding its, its, its calf, its, its mother's milk. And it's the bonding time. Just like, you know, if you had children and you were breastfeeding your child, you actually have the same kind of things because what happens is that's why babies are happy. Whether on the subway, oh. whether in the middle of a, a war, when the baby is breastfeeding with mom, mom is important. Mom is all I love. That's mom, mom, mom's all I care for. And that's, that's, so it's an important thing. The problem is now when we make it, and it's not a biological food where we're not a calf anymore. Uh, and you know, we're not four years old or less, right. you know, which I cover in my book. Then when people take, that's why we're addicted to certain foods. And now we can take that powder and layer it. So for example, if you were to take say chips, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, say like organic kettle cooked, non-GMO, you know, yes. right. And you would eat a bag, you know, you'll probably eat a lot. They're tasty and you know, salt and also, right. But say if I give you barbecue chips from the same manufacturer, right. I and like barbecue with, chips. And with that barbecue, you'll see that they put a little bit of a milk powder in there, right. It's just enough. so that, that, that flavoring rings. And that's why people are like, I can't stop eating those chips, but I can, you know, I can pretty much have a couple of those and I can stop. It's because right. once you start hitting those, those factors in the brain, you 
you can't stop no matter who you are. I mean, so it's not like uh, intelligence or will. It's like, no, this is biology. You know, you, we're all the Pavlov dog and, and right. you know, we're salivating. Right. And that's so, why you shouldn't have one because you can't stop at once. So right. It's just better but, not to have but, it all. But the legal disclaimer is actually on the bottle itself. Right. It's you, it's like, <laughs> we dare you to stop at right? one. <laughs> it's really funny. Like they just, you know, and, and a lot of the drugs, you know, the same thing, like that they have rebound effects, they have addiction potentials. Right. So all you know, they, they say take it every day, even the, you know, purple pill. Say on the bottle it says don't take more than 15 days, but they sell you 45 in a pack. You know, right. So, so there's a little bit of like, well, what's happening is that they're legally, you know, dissolving them from any liability. Right. But, you know, they're like, well, you should have read it more closely or you should have listened right. to the commercial more closely. Or you should like drug dealers. Well, uh, unfortunately, a lot of America and a lot of physicians in medicine has become where we're just highly trained professional drug dealers. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, for so, example, I, I had a patient, just to, just to give you an example, I had a patient the other day, she came in. A really nice mom, a kid has, you know, ADHD and she's like, you know, I'm really concerned about these drugs, you know, they're on these kind of, uh, these, uh, uh, these, uh, stimulant type of medications. I go, well, it's just prescribed meth. You oh, know, wow. yeah. all the, AD, all the ADHD medicines are methamphetamine just by prescription. So instead of picking it up on the corner of the street from the guy in the shady part of town <laughs> or in the park or, you know, in the neighborhood who's selling drugs, for example, that might be suspicious looking of giving drugs to children. Um, no, you're going uh, in your car to Walgreens and getting a co-insurance and a copay and you're giving it to your kid. Oh, incredible. So. Incredible. And no regulation. Everyone's asleep at the wheel. Let's talk sugar. Mm -hmm. So yes, we know we've all been told now sugar is bad. So we get that. What about mm -hmm. stevia? What, what about some natural alternatives? To so sugar? the ones that we recommend aside of, you know, now one thing just to let you know about sugar is that sugars from sweets, from foods that are fruits are okay. So eating all the fruit you want is fine. Even for cancer patients, eating fruit is fine. Uh, the fructose glucose does not have that problem because you're still getting the antioxidants, phytonutrients, protein, and fiber from the fruit source. So anything that's coming from Mother Nature, from a tree, from the ground that you can pick, that you can get, uh, is fine. Anything that's coming from a package, you should probably avoid because it's not made right. with the intention that it's supposed to heal. Um, stevia does not have, to my knowledge, up to date, any negative um, side effects from health uh, aspects. And in fact, you know, they took out like, for example, what people should be avoiding is all the pink, yellow, and blue packets of sweeteners that you see. Um, mm -hmm. My book will explain which ones those are so you would understand what is on the table. But those things actually have been shown in animal studies and with certain regulations in human uh, aspects to um, avoid or that can cause potential cancers or other chronic diseases such as inflammatory diseases, uh, neurological diseases, seizures, and, and, and fibromyalgia, etc. So um, stevia is good. We like stevia. Um, there's also something called monk fruit, which is out there as well, Lohan Gao. Yes. It's another natural uh, plant that mm -hmm. is, is less bitter uh, than uh, – so some people think that stevia, oh, it's too bitter, it's too sweet. Um, and remember, I always tell people if you use it, I have them use the stevia drops because pre-flavored stevia things are usually super sickly sweet because they're trying to convert someone who's taking super high fructose corn syrup soda to switch over. Right. So, so someone like me that I don't drink sodas, then if I take a stevia flavored drink, it's way too sickly sweet where that's why people say, I tell them, you know, use a stevia drops. You can add maybe one or two drops. It tastes fine. Whereas if you, you know, the, the soda might have like eight drops or 10 drops because right. 
And then for some people, like, that's disgusting, you know, for their taste buds. So among, among fruit, and also just, you know, natural you know, sweeteners, like, you can use, you know, uh, even though I'm plant-based, I don't mind using medicinal honeys, more local raw or organic honeys, manuka honeys for people that are sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, What about also, agave? There's been a little controversy on agave. Agave is an issue in terms of sourcing and whether it's real or not. Okay. With, okay. with basically with every food right now, right? Like is your olive oil real or not? Right. It's not right. And so same thing, we have to be careful where the agave became, uh, so, um, commercialized that it was a lot of basically corn syrup or other types of corn products that was mixed or blended. Same thing with honey. You know, that's why we always look at, you know, local raw organic honey versus like, Oh, I get the big old jar at the big box, you know, for super cheap. That's usually corn syrup coming from China. And there's all studies and I have all that in my book, by the way. So if you want to look them up because it's, it's, it's interesting how that, that the industry has changed. The sourcing of foods have changed regulation. Even like the, like when I talk about, the meat industry now, for example, all the pork and chicken predominantly is grown here, shipped 7,000 miles to China, processed in China and brought back. And it's cheaper than it's ever been. So I'll explain the why, but it's regulation and it's what, you know, why is food so cheap? It shouldn't be. You know, we spend the least amount on food we in, do. in any other country. We and, do. and for that, we're paying the price for cheap food. With, with very, very poor health. Right. Let's talk finally. We've been having such a great conversation, but um, I think I've taken up a lot of your time. So let, let's talk uh, briefly about love, happiness, faith, and yoga. Okay. How critical are those for curtailing inflammation and, and what has been your experience? So since our practice is about 60% of cancer patients now, and it's not that we want to treat cancer patients, it's that we actually treat their inflammation, immune system, and overall well-being. The problem is that, you know, one in, one in three women, one in two men will have cancer in their lifetime. So it's epidemic. So the population has changed of who we're treating now. Okay, it used to be just so diabetes and heart disease and depression and obesity. Now it's like, okay, everybody has that plus you know, uh, a cancer diagnosis coming ahead or already have it, or more importantly, a recurrent. The number one thing that people ask me is, what's the thing that you, you know, what's the one thing, Dr. Pai? That's what everybody asks. What's the one thing I need to do? What one thing? Aside of like bosomeric, the natural anti-inflammatory and all the studies on inflammation. Okay. Those are simple things that people can take that will help reduce that. But when we look at our long-term patients, patients that I even still follow who I was a medical student following now 25, 30 years later, who are stage four cancer patients then who are still alive now. Hmm. Okay. And I used to think of them as being stubborn. <laughs> we didn't understand it at the time, right? It was like, these people are very stubborn. No, it's belief system. It's the belief system of each individual, regardless of what the belief system is. But what people have to have is they have to have centering and they have to have an understanding that they do have the innate ability to heal themselves. But they have to have full conviction. So when I see patients that have that with full conviction, and it's hard because everything is trying to steer you away from understanding that, right? The doctor's trying to scare you. The commercial's trying to scare you. The products company's trying to sell you this. And, you know, both conventional alternative is trying, like, you know, it's this magic, this, that. But really the magic's within inside, right? You just have to change the environment of the train of the individual, both body, mind, and soul. If you do that, they, the things start happening very quickly. And that's why when we look at people and we say, hey, these people have the same diseases, they have the same cancer diagnosis or chronic disease, but why is this one like within two weeks started showing improvement and then six months later, they're free of this. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, they're working on it and still, you know, it's getting better, but it's not like, you know, miraculously changing. It's because part of that is the doubt. And it's hard mm-hmm. because we're humans, right? People are going to say, you know, only take this herb, it's going to cure you. Only this IV therapy is going to cure you. Only it's, no, 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 there's no such thing like that. You know, the body's more complicated. Cancer's more complicated. Chronic disease is more complicated. And with the same person, with the same diagnosis, there's 10 different ways to approach that with each individual, 
right? Mm-hmm. So we like to look at that individualism. But when you come back, it's that this love, happiness, the social relationships uh, and meaning of finding some kind of spiritual practice or just belief in yourself is mm-hmm. important because that's actually what fixes the immune system and its strength. When people lose that, you know, in Ayurveda, there's a, there's a proverb that, you know, they say that you can turn uh, a nectar into a poison and a poison into nectar. Hmm. You know, just how you think. Right, that's like the epigenetics that's of your body. That's pretty profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so even if a patient has to take chemotherapy, right, we support them through that. We can get the, you know, we can make something toxic more targeted, less side effects. But even emotionally, how can we change that? Because we know that when someone walks down a hallway and they see the chemo room, there are mm-hmm. studies that show that as they walk down the hall before they even get the chemo, the immune system is already suppressing. Oh wow. Right. So how do we strengthen that is through all these other means. Right. So finding that inner strength, whatever that strength is. So, you know, we're our business is house of Sanjevni. So what that means is that we're kind of uh, we're a medical diocese in that sense that we are able and allowed um, as a nonprofit to um, encourage patients belief system as part of their healing. Again, it's not just plant-based diet. It's not just Bostomeric, which is great, and the glucan, and you know this and that, and doing the exercise. And but it, but it's also it's understanding what is that person's belief system, and how can we utilize that as part and parcel of their of their healing. It's not right. separate. And unfortunately, in medicine, well, rightfully so and wrongfully so, we kind of take that away. We separate, right? So in mm-hmm. medicine now, we would go and you know we would do everything, and then when everything didn't go well, right, and the ship was sinking, that's when they call the spiritual person in. Right, right, to read read you your last rites. The the, the priest or the nun or whatever, right? Right. And and I was in a hospital when I was doing my medical school training on the East Coast, which is very uh, very interesting is that it was, it was, it was, it was, it was at that time, I don't know if they still do it, but it was called, it was called St. Agnes and it was in the East Coast and it was run by nuns. It was one of the most efficient hospitals I've ever seen in the East Coast. You know, I was at Hopkins, I was at University of Maryland and then there's kind of like this kind of charity community hospital and when someone was admitted, they would contact and say, what kind of faith or belief system you have? And so I'm Thai or I'm Hindu or I'm Jewish or, you know, Muslim, whatever it is, they would actually call that person of that faith to be part of the team from day one. And, I, and at that time, I didn't understand it. So you put wow. it this that time, I'm like, why is that person in this room? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're interfering with the nurse giving the medicine, right? But it's like, because that's part of the person understanding that they're going to get better from whatever the, the team, it's a team. Right. Approach, it's right? that whole placebo effect too, right? It's that the, if you believe it's going to work, it belief works. belief is so important. And that's why we can change. And that's why, you know, it's not only just, you know, follow these instructions, like how do we guide that? So we're able to, in our practice, explore that, right? And so in, some people, you know, some people are like, hey, Dr. Pai, you know, I'm no longer practicing this from practicing that. You know, I grew up this way, but that wasn't my belief. But we just had to do the services on Sunday, etc. But then we want to say, well, then go find a spiritual center. Just find it. It doesn't have to be a non-denominational. It doesn't have to have a right. specific thing. The community is important. Even volunteering is important, right? We know that even patients that have severe disease, when they volunteer, the outcome is better. It's just really interesting. So, because what happens, we're shifting the focus so that it's not always me, I'm a victim, I'm That's sick, right. oh, me, right? I'm That's drowning, right. I got to eat so many supplements a day, I got to drink this green juice, and you know, and uh, it's That's like, right. well, how can I service other people? It sounds very strange. But when you follow the data, that's how outcomes improve. Well, isn't that interesting? Because Dr. Pai, that's why Healerpedia started. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was in the midst of healing myself, I hadn't read your book. I wish I had. It would have saved me from a lot of experimentation. But I just realized one day that if I didn't figure out a way to keep myself occupied with something else, I was going to go crazy. And I was never going to get better because my my subconscious and my conscious both were convinced I wasn't going to make it. 
Right. And so Healerpedia literally started um, as a project for me to distract myself with the purpose of sharing my own experiences and sharing the doctors that had been so amazing in giving me the advice that was helping me get better. And it's, of course, taken a life of its own, but I firmly believe that it gave me something positive to do, which absolutely contributed in my healing faster than what everybody else tells me. You know, everyone says it should have taken you three to five years. That's what we average see. It took me 15 months. Right. And the thing so, is, because yeah. remember, you, you have that innate ability to heal, right? So the goal is to see is like, can we just change everything, the diet, lifestyle, and environment, and, and encourage that belief system that you can do so. So with, our, with my book, An Inflammation Nation, for example, if people just follow the 10 steps, we just see clinically 80, yeah. 80 85% of everything will get better. And now, how long it, does it take typically? Depending on how compliant they are. <laughs> right. right. But for the 80 to 85, I mean, give me a range, like well, from the low end to the high end. Well, and I'll give you an example. Why is, 80, why is it not 100%? Because most people still, I mean, most people have chronic disease. And so that 15%, you need to have an integrative healthcare provider provide you guns. Because many people are multi, you know, the average person I see over 55 mm -hmm. is on between eight and 12 pharmaceutical drugs. That's the yes. average, right? And they're taking about 15 to 20 supplements. So think of that table that in front of you right now with like, wow. you know, eight things from uh, pharmacies to 12 things from pharmacies. You know, and, and the VA patients I see, these wonderful people who have served our country, average person walking in my office, 26 prescription drugs. Wow. Right. So it's like, like we're not helping anybody here by just giving them more drugs. We need to give them support. We need to give them real food. We need to even give them, you know, employment. We need to give them love. Yes. I mean, there's yes. things that, that, you know, everybody says, oh, here's a pill and it's cheaper or we can get it for you. I'm like, but that's not what they want. They want right. healing, they want helping, and they want guidance. And that's what we can do. So that's where I always say it because, you know, some people say, well, can I just do everything in this book? But, you know, if you're on a medication, you start losing weight, you're probably going to have to have the doctor change your doses because you're, you know, your blood pressure is better. Your blood sugar is better. You need someone to follow that and guide you how to wean correctly. You just don't stop. You know, people should never stop just taking something. But right. if you do it correctly, you, you, you know, the body can get off of almost everything that we see. And if not, we keep people on the minimum and lowest physiological dose that's needed uh, to have the same physical effect without, you know, the least amount of side effects. So, but our goal is like people come there like, oh, I'm tired of these drugs. I'm sick and tired of the drugs. I'm sick and tired of the supplements. Uh, you know, I got a chiropractor. I got a naturopath. I got a massage therapist. I got an acupuncturist. I got three different yes. specialists and my primary doctor and, 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 Wiki, and Wikipedia, you know. And yes. And they're still not, you know, because there's a little bit of good in all of them and there's a little bit of misinformation that no one's really looking at the, the global picture. And that's what we're trying to do is look at the global picture of how do we move people. And eventually, we're going to be looking at models of how do we move groups of people. And that's what we can talk about later on is how can we design models so that instead of just spending one-on-one -on -one time, I spend two, three hours with the client. Um, mm -hmm. How can we do this where we can maybe move 20, 30 people through programs so that it's more efficient, more economical, and maybe we can, you know, things can be through, te through technology, like what we're doing here with the, with the video conferencing mm -hmm. or something like that. So people from all over, from rural America to another country could participate and still follow their labs and document evidence-based outcomes. Oh, that sounds great. That's, that's what we're doing with Heal Circle. It's yes. all about bringing in experts like yourself in a group setting, 20, 25, 30 people in a room, all working together to heal. Because also there's been a lot of scientific studies that people mm -hmm. heal faster when you're doing it together. You Absolutely. Know, group healing works far better than solo healing. So sure. 
And we always set, we always set our patients, you know, to, uh, you know, once they come in, if they're interested is that, you know, we connect them with other patients because, yeah. you know, and, and there's other group practices that kind of like, Hey, there's people who are kind of doing the dietary changes. Like, Oh, now you have a new person to go out to eat with at this restaurant or go shopping right. with or go take a cooking class. And, you know, we do these things in our clinic, but it's nice also that it's not just us. It's in the patients, just like how you taught from your experience, creating a way, you know, this is what helped you. It's like that, that's the goal. Everybody wants to make everything kind of proprietary and, like this is you, know, you only can get it at this place. It's not true. We're kind of we're in a little bit of more of an open source aspect. It's like That's yes, right. yes, people should make money, people should be successful and all, but you know, it, but healing should be accessible to all. Now, whether they choose to or not, that's their choice. But it, you know, I always tell people, you know, it's, it, I go to bed at night, sleep, I sleep well. I don't worry. <laughs> I don't worry about my patients because my job as an integrated physician is to provide them all the evidence-based information from super hard conventional to you know the, all the conservative you know the conservative to the liberal left of say being completely alternative. I'm more integrative, so we're in the middle. We have to look at everything with, you know with with scrutiny and give them the best outcome. But whatever they choose, some people say, "Hey, I, I don't want to do any of this stuff." Like, oh, fine. You know, I still go to sleep at night. Okay, that's right. Because you've been given a choice, and now it's your choice. It's your choice. Now, whatever they choose, I will still be their advocate because maybe it's their not. That's not their time and place right now to completely understand that. You understand that, right? Like now that you've come full circles, like certain things that they told you. 20 years ago, you would have said no, just like, I would have said the same thing, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. And now it's like, well, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't have that perspective until That's you've right. gone through that experience. Right. And, and it's as, until you've been in their shoes, you don't know. And so it's not our place to judge our, our, it's our place to give them the guidance and then support them. And hopefully they, they choose better choices every time they have an option to do so. Absolutely. This has been Dr. Pai, this has been so insightful. As we wrap up, give our audience the one mandatory thing that they should do, because we've shared so much great information here. And of course, we're going to share the link to your book and as well as your organization so people can access you, get, you know, get in touch with you. But what is the one thing, someone who's suffering from inflammation, whether it's RA or colitis, what is the one mandatory thing you want them to do immediately? The mandatory thing is really you got to move to a whole foods plant-based diet first. Because okay. we know that, that just the feeding the body, the nutrition, now it's not going to be easy and people don't know how to do it and people don't right. know what vegetables and fruits are. Right. They're worried about the grains and all. But what you got to do is that, you know, in my book, I explain that. But also there's a lot of resources that we provide in the book where they're nonprofit, you know, in, in a non-industry funded sites. that are like, here's a lecture, watch this video, hour and a half. Right. And this doctor will teach you everything that's evidence-based. It's not, these are not alternative. We're looking at factual information that's published in the literature. The problem is there's no industry that makes money on prevention. And, you know, nobody really wants you to be free of that. But we do because there's so many people that are having problems. There's so much illness. There's, there's never going to be uh, not sick people. Right. So that's the way I look at it. It's like, we try to open source things. We like to, to teach things because it's like, I can't see everybody, everybody else. can. it's like, it's like mm-hmm. sharing, sharing the knowledge. Like you just want to open source the code so that more programmers can use it because there's millions of people with computer issues or whatever, right? That's right. Uh, and everybody can call this one tech support line and get help. And so I think the same thing we have to look at from healthcare perspective. But I think the side of the diet is really finding the, a true integrated prote- practitioner. And Love looking it. at who's truly evidence-based. Some people are super popular and some people, you know, have gotten there from this. You have to look at what is their credentials, what is truly their training? Because, you know, even in, the, in our field, 
field, there's grades of what I call realness. So there's some people that are super popular just because they got the position they got, or they got an industry that's backing them. They got a company that's backing them. I'm a little bit more controversial because we call them out on both ends. It's like we have to really move. You know, there's a lot of commercialism and everybody has something that they're funding or pushing, but we have to look at, is there evidence behind that? If there is, then I have no problem with them promoting something. Right. But if not, or if there's something that actually is better or something that's safer, more effective, then we have to then, you know, name, you know, so it's not always like this is good and that's bad or that's bad. That We're integrative. We're not alternative. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, our goal is always just improving outcome. And so how, how we do that is varied by each person. And the intention is just not claiming what made it there. It's like, no, we have their, they're healthier. They're better, right? So they're off their meds. So it doesn't matter whether it's this herb or this supplement or this, again, meditation or mantra or exercise. It's like how we move them there. That's the key. And everybody else wants to just kind of claim victory on it's only this that you eat or not this what you eat or, you know, like what's that one thing? It's a little bit more individualized than that. Uh, that, that sounds perfect. Dr. Pai, thank you so much for all your time today. Thank for you. the rest of you, yes, you can get rid of inflammation. Yes, you can reverse it. You don't need to be on anti-inflammatory drugs, prescription drugs. You absolutely can take the natural route and it's not in a pill. As Dr. Pai shares, there's a 10-step process You'll have access to the links uh, for his book and his organization in the show notes. Until next time, stay smiling. I'll see you soon on another podcast. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.